If you are making a list of the Bible's most prominent villains, what are some of the names that would come to mind? Well, probably you'd start with Cain and maybe the Pharaoh of Egypt, Delilah, and Jezebel. Herod the Great would have to be one. And of course, Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus. Well, in this episode of the Discover the Word podcast, Bill Crowder is going to help the group explore what we know about Judas, one of those villainous characters in the story of the Bible. Judas, who he was, what he did, how Jesus responded to it. Mm -hmm. uh, I want us to kind of get a behind-the-scenes look at what was at work in his betrayal. We tend to have a very one-dimensional view of Judas, but there was actually a lot of stuff going on. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily excuse any of his behavior, but it just helps us to understand there's a lot in play right here. Yeah. And that may help us to humanize him a little bit mm -hmm. without in any way mitigating the wrong that he did. Yeah, I think you'll find this more than just pointing out the flaws of a bad man. Pull your chair up to the table with Bill Crowder, Elisa Morgan, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry for a study simply called Judas on Discover the Word. And welcome to another hour of studying the Bible together. Discover the Word is the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries. Hope you had a good Easter weekend celebrating the resurrection of our Lord. And so now in this podcast, we're going to follow up our focus in our last podcast on Holy Week by spending some time on one of the characters in the events of that week that was part of our Wicked Wednesday discussion. And uh, that person is Judas Iscariot, one of Jesus' 12 closest disciples and the one we most associate with betraying Jesus to the authorities. He definitely has to make that list of the most prominent villains in the story of the Bible. And so we're going to explore what we know about him from several different angles. And as I said, I think we'll find it much more than just a finger pointing exercise at the poor decisions that he made. All right, so let's get started and join Bill and Elisa and Daniel and Rasul for this conversation about Judas. Do you ever do word association? Yes. <laughs> do you like it or do you find it frustrating? I think it's interesting sometimes because you I don't know what comes up. It's so spontaneous. Yeah, yeah, so let's yeah. play the game right okay. now. Okay, sure. Yeah, we're going to do word association. Oh, you're in charge. Yeah, <laughs> I'm in charge. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Sorry. Okay, so we're going to actually do word association. Thank you, Elisa, for suggesting that. That was brilliant. It really is important that you say the first word that jumps into your head because this is not an unknown subject I'm going to ask you about. But if I say the name Judas Iscariot, first word that comes to your mind? Betray. Betray. Okay. Yeah, traitor. Traitor. Thief. Thief. Okay. Those are all pretty dark, negative things. And Judas is a pretty dark, negative character in the story of Jesus in the scriptures. And so that's how we know him. What's interesting is over the last 50 years or so, as I've been trying to figure out how to follow Jesus in my own life, there have been repeated attempts in cultural presentations of the story of Jesus to advocate for Judas or present him in a less dark light mm. than what we just did with betray, traitor, thief. In one presentation, he was really the only good guy of the disciples because he was the only one who actually acted with integrity. The other ones said they would 
stay with Jesus, and they mm-hmm. ran away. He was the only one who stayed true to his word. And others, they talk about the fact that it, you know, it really wasn't his fault hmm. what happened because all he was trying to do was get Jesus to declare for the kingdom and to pronounce himself king. Mm-hmm. Now, the only information we have about Judas comes from the Bible. Mm-hmm. And none of those other things are in there. Mm-hmm. What we are told is betray, traitor, thief. Yeah. And even though there may be some human elements to the story we don't have access to, we have to deal with what we have. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that necessarily means that we need to be brutal about it. But I do think that it means that there are lessons from even some of the worst characters we see in the Bible that maybe can inform us in how we live mm-hmm. in our relationship with Jesus. Because like it or not, for three some years, Jesus and Judas had a relationship. Mm-hmm. So we want to unpack that for a little bit this week and think about Judas, who he was, what he did, not so much why it matters, but maybe how Jesus responded to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there might be something there for us. So let's start off just talking about who he is. So when we think about the name Judas, we automatically think of... Judas Iscariot, yeah. the disciple. I was going to say, or the phrase, don't be a Judas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or Judas goat uh, is an expression I've heard before. Mm-hmm. But there are actually a bunch of guys named Judas in the Bible. And another one of the disciples was also named Judas, Hmm. which is really kind of interesting. Whenever he's talked about, they have to put Judas not as scary. Uh (laughs) (laughs) How'd you like to be that guy? You know, it's like Adolf, not Hitler, you know, that kind of thing. Exactly. Well, you don't hear too many kids named Judas. No. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is really ironic because what's the name Judas mean? Something to do with light. It actually means praise. Oh, praise. Okay. Yeah. It comes from the word to praise the Lord. Lord. Mm. And so here you have this great irony that the one who was the traitor, betrayer, thief is the one whose name has such beauty to it and, and such dignity to it. You know, there's a real irony there. Yeah. The name Iscariot is a little bit of a mystery. Because some say it means Ishkirioth, which would be man of Kirioth. There was a village in the Negev, south of Jerusalem, that we see mentioned all the way back in the book of Judges that was called Kirioth. And so they say it means Ishkirioth. Another way of putting it is the Kirioth part, um, they see it as from the word Sakarii. Does that word ring any bells? Yeah, as I'm. Um learning my Hebrew vocabulary. Um, <laughs> it has to do with uh, like fighting like a soldier, a weapon uh, yeah. of some sort. Yeah, specifically it was the Sicarii were assassins. They were part of the zealots. Mm-hmm. And Sicaria means a dagger. Right. So you're right, Russell, is a weapon. But it was used by assassins. And so what they would do is that they would go into a crowd and they'd pull this out and knife the person and then they'd slip away. And the person, when the crowd dissipated, the person would be laying there dead and nobody knew mm-hmm. what happened. So some say, well, this is dagger man mm-hmm. is what it means. That's kind of what he did. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we may or may not know where he's from. We may or may not know that he was one of the zealots like another of the disciples who was... Right, Simon the Zealot. Simon mm-hmm. the Zealot. So we don't know about that. If he was from the village of Kiriath, however, the important piece of that is that he would have been the only non-Galilean hmm. disciple. Hmm. All the other disciples, as far as we can tell, come from the Galilee region, but Kiriath was down in Judea. Hmm. So automatically, there's this sense of a different identity, Mm -hmm. which makes it interesting that Jesus gives him a job. 
Yeah. Among the 12. What was his job? Take care of the money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which may be why you resonated immediately by th- saying the word thief, Elisa, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah. So if he's an outsider and Jesus gives this great trust to him to mm. take care of the resources for the group, I mean, that would be very affirming, even though maybe the other guys weren't so welcoming to him. Mm-hmm. Jesus entrusts him mm-hmm. with this stuff, which well, is really important. I think he would give it to Matthew, the tax collector or something. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's a guy who knows how to handle money, yeah. sort of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> However, the fact that he has this responsibility really feeds into the first time we really see him step center stage into the story. He's mentioned offhandedly a number of times, but just about every time he's ever mentioned, it's always Judas Iscariot, the one who would betray him. That's Mm -hmm. the way he is in all of the lists of the disciples Mm. in the synoptics. That's the way he's described in other places. Judas, the one who would betray him. Judas, the one who would betray him. If he's not described as that, he's described as Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. So what do we know about the way names are used in the Bible? Is there any significance to the fact that his dad's name appears there? Yeah, I mean, it was typically very intentional, and it was usually a way to show which family line they came from, Mm -hmm. because in a patriarchal culture, Mm -hmm. you're always connected to your whole family. In a Western culture, we think of like, I may or may not know extended family. No, there you're like connected Mm -hmm. with your family. You live near them. Mm -hmm. You have relationships with them. It's part of your identity. Yeah, part of your identity is who is your dad. Yeah. But specifically, when we look at the gospel, and that's true, but I think specifically when we look at the gospels, when names are used, it's generally believed that the reason the name was used was because that was someone known in the early Christian community. Oh, yeah. So the fact that Simon Iscariot was named mm-hmm. means he was someone known to the church in all likelihood. So how do you like to be that guy? Yeah. Mm. I mean, Oof. we have a visitor in church with us today from Jerusalem. It's Simon Iscariot. So, you know, family ties can be tough. But the whole keeper of the money thing, let's look at John chapter 12. And Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. They're having a party to celebrate this. And in the middle of it, something very intriguing happens. So let's just real quickly read through verses 2 through 8. So here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. And then Mary took about a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was the perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? Now he said this, not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. Therefore, Jesus said, let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Mm. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Okay, now it's interesting. Once again, it was Judas, the one who was going to betray him. I mean, it's right there. There's no spoiler alerts here. This is just the story being told. One of the things that's interesting when we see stories and narratives in the Gospels, we often are left to guess at what somebody's motive might have been for something they did or said. John, who's functioning as the narrator Mm -hmm. here, Mm -hmm. 
He doesn't make us guess. Right. He tells us what the motive is. And again, it's not very nice, is it? No. It's pretty clear. It, it brings up so many questions, though, too, though, because you're like, well, if John knew that, mm-hmm. why didn't they call him out on it? Or did they call him out on it? And he kept doing it, and Jesus still kept him around. Mm-hmm. You know, like, or so did how it, did they even know? Did he find out later, yeah. and then all yeah. the pieces fell in place? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. since John wrote his gospel 60 years later, mm-hmm. I think it's very likely that at the moment, he didn't know this, but he's informing us. Yeah. Right. This is what was really going on. In hindsight, you know, yeah. we came to understand that. Right. But again, for this to be his basic introduction Whew. onto the story, mm-hmm. it's already bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you hear the story being told, the first question I have is, why would Jesus choose him? I know. I know. It's the whole, you know, how did God allow Satan to be in the garden? I mean, it just goes on and on. Yeah. You know, this, it, it confounds our understanding. But if we look at some of the other disciples, hmm. why did he? choose Matthew, who was probably also a thief and taking money for himself as a tax collector, because that's what a lot of them did at the time. Why would he choose Peter, who's going to cut somebody's ear off and betray Jesus in a different way? Mm-hmm. Why did he choose any of them would be a question we'd have to end up to at some point. And why didn't Judas change his mind? Yeah. Why wasn't he ultimately affected in redemption? And I think all of those are questions we want to try to maybe play around with a little bit as we go through these conversations. But maybe the biggest question is why does God choose any of us? Mm-hmm. To some degree, we know what our hearts are, right? Mm-hmm. And to some degree, we know what we are capable of in our worst moments. It's just that nobody's going to write a book about our worst moments that somebody mm-hmm. can study it 2,000 years from now. We're going to see Judas in his worst moments. And the question, why would Jesus choose him, should make us reflect on the kind of grace that would allow Jesus to choose us. Do you like behind-the-scenes documentary things? Do you like watching those? Oh, I love those. Yeah. Do you? What are some of them you've really enjoyed Recently, they just came out with one for NBA on TNT, like, you know, Mm -hmm. which is, I think, the best sports commentary show ever with Charles Barkley (laughs) and them. So they gave a documentary about how that came together and Mm. and whatnot. And it was just really fascinating to see the behind the scenes and, you know, with that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I saw a series on. um One network that was on the first ladies. They took Mm. one at a time and went through their tenure it was wonderful because you know you don't have a whole lot of focus on first ladies you know except for later yeah so that was nice yeah Yeah, for me i think of a show that my boys have been really enjoying watching and we've been watching together called mega car super build and it's basically (laughs) where they take these cars that are can't say already super cars and then they'll do something crazy with them because there's some wealthier people that want a bentley but they want to be able to use it to go off-roading and hunting. And so they'll like take the Bentley <laughs> and make it so that it can be raised up a little bit. Oh it my has goodness. a rooftop tent and all that. So they show like the behind the scenes of them building these Wow, you let mega your son cars. watch that? Okay. That sounds wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They yeah. found it and they got me hooked on it. Oh, That's, That's funny. Yeah, for me, I mean, I've enjoyed a lot of these things. Like I watched the documentary on all the planning that went into the D-Day invasion during mm-hmm. World War II. 
mm-hmm. to or mm-hmm. all the stuff that ramped up to the development of the U.S. space program. I think those things are really interesting. But sometimes getting a behind-the-scenes thing can be really interesting, mm-hmm. like you're talking about in some of your things. Sometimes it can be very exposing mm-hmm. and tragic. And what I want us to do in this conversation, we started in our last conversation talking about Judas, the betrayer, traitor, thief, <laughs> as we presented him. And I want us to kind of get a behind-the-scenes look at what was at work in his betrayal, because we tend to have a very one-dimensional view of Judas, but there was actually a lot of stuff going on. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily excuse any of his behavior, but it just helps us to understand there's a lot in play right here. Yeah. And that may help us to humanize him a little bit mm-hmm. without in any way mitigating the wrong that he did. So I want us to do this and look at the kind of the preparations that lead up to the betrayal. Then in the next conversation, we'll talk about the betrayal itself. But in this one, just the preparation. And we see it in Matthew 26, verse 14 through 16. So Daniel, would you read that for us? Yeah. Then one of the twelve, who was called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I betray him to you? Mm. They paid him thirty pieces of silver, and from that moment he began to look for an opportunity to betray him or Jesus. Okay, so what do you notice about that? Well, Judas initiates Exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's acting on his own initiative. It's not mm-hmm. like they sent out a, a text message and saying, if there are any of the disciples that would like to <laughs> betray Jesus, you know, we'll pay him off. No, he takes the initiative. And this mm-hmm. is one of the reasons why it's impossible to totally absolve him of wrongdoing. It's you know? interesting, Bill, because, you know, in our last conversation, we looked at the anointing in Bethany. We were in the book of John. It's also contained in Matthew and in Mark. But it, it, just in the verses prior to this is when Judas said, why this waste of perfume? It yeah. could have been sold. And then he goes immediately to the head dudes to betray him. Mm-hmm. So it, it feels like there's a, a motivation that he's concerned about yeah. money somehow mm-hmm. here. I think you're really onto something because obviously money's a big part of his story Yeah, because uh, yeah. he's the treasurer of the group. He's a thief. John tells yeah. us he's a thief who's been stealing from the money of the mm-hmm. group. And now we find that he's looking for a payday. Mm. Some have even speculated that he was hoping that money would repay what he had stolen from the box so nobody would know that he'd been stealing. Mm. But as you say that, Elisa, connecting it back to the situation of the ointment and why wasn't this sold and we could give the money to the poor. Well, it's not going to go to the poor. It's going to go to Judas because he handles the money. This brings up the question of why. Why would Judas do this? Mm Mm-hmm. What would motivate him to betray Jesus? I mean, you have to think about it in these terms. For three years plus, Mm -hmm. he has been living in the very presence of Jesus Mm 24-7. Think of all the miracles he's seen. Think of all the acts of love he's witnessed. Think of all the teaching that he's Mm -hmm. heard. Mm -hmm. And after three plus years of that, it's kind of like, I don't think so. Mm -hmm. That's really amazing when you think about it. I mean... How does that hit you? Yeah, well, I think what I, you're asking a little bit about motive or why, which were never fully given. Correct. I just think about how all of the disciples misunderstood what Jesus meant mm-hmm. by unbringing the kingdom, mm-hmm. right? Like even after his resurrection at the beginning of Acts, they're like, oh, so now's when you're going to overthrow Rome, mm-hmm. right? Like now's when you're going to overthrow yeah. the kingdom. And with our context of our last conversation, we were talking about how Judas may have been connected to one of the zealots. He could have been like this 
assassin type figure or whatever, one of the reasons he may have joined Jesus is because if this is the Messiah, mm-hmm. my understanding of that is he's going to overthrow Rome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's going to be the one yeah. that saves these people. And so as he sees that, maybe he's one of the first disciples to really get, oh, this isn't the kind of Messiah Jesus is. Yeah. I don't know. And some have speculated that exact thing, Daniel, that the motive that he had behind it was he had been trying to force Jesus mm-hmm. to declare himself king. And the triumphal entry is the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when he doesn't, it's kind of like, okay, I'm done with you. Right. Yeah. You know? What I see as a pattern of his own agenda. Yeah. Probably thinking, I, you know, even in, the, in its best context, I know how to do better with yeah. this than you're doing. Correcting the woman who Jesus is clearly allowing to honor him better agenda i you know what you're not using this the way i think mm-hmm. yeah. and then by going to the pharisees and the priests like another agenda like that's not something that you see any of the disciples do mm-hmm. and so and that is something that hits a little closer to home yeah. because oftentimes we can think yeah what are you doing god yeah. Yeah. i can do better yeah. a job yeah, than we you do are. better yep. yeah mm-hmm. yeah that's right i think as we try to unravel some of these motivations that may or may not have been a part of it, I think it's helpful because it forces us to maybe sometimes think about our own motivations. And and sometimes they're pretty ugly too. Um, But I think the big thing that we have to agree that the text makes clear, as you said earlier, Lisa, is Judas takes the initiative. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is his idea. And you know what I kind of compare it to is Adam and Eve. Hmm. Adam and Eve lived physically in the presence of God. Mm -hmm. And somehow at some moment that became not enough. For Judas, he lived physically in the presence of the Son of God and somehow that became not enough. Mm -hmm. And so he had an agenda. He took matters into his own hands. There's another layer to this. Listen to these verses, Luke 22, 3. And Satan entered into Judas who was called Iscariot belonging to the number of the 12. John 13, 2. During supper, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. John 13, 27. After the morsel, Satan entered into him. Therefore, Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. There is a spiritual component to this, a spiritual warfare element Mm -hmm. in a sense that is hard for us to quantify. Yeah. And it'd be easy to say, well, wasn't his fault. Satan you know, but Russell, read Jesus's words in Matthew eighteen seven, because many believe that he was speaking directly to Judas when he said these words. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. Yeah. There seems to be a statement of bad things are going to happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is a messed up world. Bad things are going to happen. Don't be the cause of it. Yeah. <laughs> Don't be the catalyst that makes it happen. And I think the idea of the devil made me do it is never depicted in Scripture as a legitimate excuse. There's always this this opportunity, the mm-hmm. tempter, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. where, hey, this is something you might want to do. Here's mm-hmm. an option. Yep. Mm-hmm. But never this aspect of complete abandoning of choice that someone yeah. engages in that. And so and that clearly, even as the the gospel writers are saying that they still clearly say this is Judas's fault. So in their own minds, as they were writing this, they weren't saying, oh, the devil made him do it to get him off the hook. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that introduces an element of mystery into this story. Mm -hmm. And we wrestle with this exact mystery in a variety of different ways. We wrestle with it theologically, with predestination versus free will. Mm -hmm. 
We wrestle with it here between God's sovereign purposes and our free choices. Mm -hmm. How do those fit together? Mm, Totally. Mm -hmm. No clue. There's a mystery there. Mm -hmm. But what we know is that woe be to the person by whom the stumbling block comes. Mm -hmm. There is a sense of responsibility that cannot be ducked because even though Satan is involved, just like in the Garden of Eden. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, the woman said, well, the serpent, it's his fault. You know, well, no, you made the choice. Mm-hmm. And the consequences are as follows. And Judas made a choice. He took the initiative. And we'll see the consequences as they follow. We're at the Discover the Word table with Bill Crowder, Elisa Morgan, Daniel Ryan Day and Rasul Berry. And this study is titled Judas. Like Bill said, this story makes us wrestle with God's sovereign purposes versus our free will. But it's a cautionary tale about how we make choices in life. And then so often those choices turn around and make us. We're focusing on what we know about who Judas was, what he did, and how Jesus responded to what Judas did. And in the next part of our conversation, we're going to zero in on the what Judas did part and examine more closely the traitor's actions. We'll get to that after we take a quick break. Now here at Our Daily Bread Ministries, Discover the Word is just one of the ways we're telling the story of Jesus and sharing the life-changing wisdom of the Bible. We also have, of course, the Our Daily Bread devotional, and other podcasts and videos on a variety of biblically-based topics. We have books and music and other Bible study resources, including what we call our Discovery Series of Bible study booklets. The Discovery Series is a collection of over 150 Bible study resources from Our Daily Bread Ministries. And there's one of those booklets that really meshes well with our conversations on this episode of Discover the Word. It's titled Judas son of darkness. Our friend, author Dennis Fisher, helps us discover how we can win the battle against sin by allowing God's light to expose the dark places in our hearts. I think you'll find it a helpful follow-up to our conversations. And it's fairly short, and you can probably read through it in 15 to 20 minutes. So search for Judas, son of darkness, when you visit discoveryseries.org. That's discoveryseries.org. And now back to this conversation about Judas and his betrayal of Jesus. And in this segment, we get to that fateful night when the betrayal actually occurred. But first, Daniel begins with one more possible motivation that Judas may have had for turning Jesus over to the authorities. In our last conversation, we were talking about some of Judas's potential motivations Mm -hmm. that we don't know for sure because the Bible doesn't Mm -hmm. tell us. But one of the ones we didn't get to, Bill, that I wanted to make sure that we at least mentioned is there's a few places in the Gospels where we see that one of the reasons the Pharisees decide and the teachers of the law and the Sadducees decide that Jesus needs to die is because if he doesn't, they feel like Rome's going to come in Mm -hmm. and wipe them out. Mm -hmm. And so we see language like it's better for one to die than for many. So I wonder too, especially with Judas's connection potentially to Simon the Zealot and with some of his uh, knowledge of what it means that Rome is the one in power, Mm -hmm. maybe part of his motivation was actually trying to protect 
his family and friends and country mm. by being a part of Jesus's execution. And as we talked about in the last conversation, I mean, this is one of those areas where the scriptures don't tell us his motivation. I mean, in John 12, it's pretty clear. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor. He said it because he stole from the money. Yeah. We get motive right there. But here, we're not told. And the way I look at it, Daniel, and I think what you're bringing is so important is because very seldom in life do we have a singular motive for things. Usually there's all kinds of stuff layered in together, isn't there? I mean, what are Mm -hmm. some examples of how we have multiple motives behind what we do sometimes? Mm. I have a friend who's a um, PhD therapist, And uh, he and I were talking the other day about when you start uncovering those broken places in you that cause you to act certain ways, Mm -hmm. like how do you get from the dealing with that to the enjoying life again? Mm -hmm. And can you speed that up? And he was Mm -hmm. reminding me how slow of a Mm -hmm. process it is because Mm -hmm. it's never just like, oh, I was treated this way in my childhood. So that's the reason I do this. Or, oh, it's my personality. And that's the reason I do this. Or, oh, it's my circumstances that there's always these layers that lead into those broken places. And I suspect that that's probably the case with Judas. Mm -hmm. And what we have to keep coming back to is, but he had a choice. Mm -hmm. And regardless of what his motives, I mean, I think we have to assume that whatever his motives were, he felt like he was doing the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. Or he would have made a different choice. Now, I think you could make a pretty good case that it was probably the wrongest thing that's ever been done in human history. (laughs) But Mm. at some level, he thought he was doing the right thing. Even if it was just a selfish choice of I want money or I need money or I need to cover up. Yeah, I think of that statement, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. And it is both helpful and a bit challenging to think about the fact that most people who do bad things think they're doing good things mm-hmm. <laughs> and even the ends justify the means mm-hmm. kind of pr- approach or even mm-hmm. the only thing they can do yeah. in a situation or that they think they can do correct <laughs> yeah yeah correct yeah so i think one of the things i hope we take away from these conversations it's not just as simple as judas was a bad dude and he betrayed jesus i mean at some level maybe it is that simple but there are complexities Because we're complex creatures, and I don't think that it necessarily lets Judas off the hook, but I do think that it forces us to think about it differently, and that puts us in a position to maybe think about ourselves differently, because all of us at any point in time are only a few steps away from Judas. Yeah, Yeah. because even if Judas knew what he was doing deep down, like he had that feeling that we've all had, where it's like, ooh, I'm getting ready to do the wrong thing. I'm going to do it anyway, right? Like I've done that. And so even if maybe he didn't think he was doing the right thing, maybe deep down he did know it was wrong, but even that we can relate to. Yeah, Yeah, we totally can. Well, and now it's time for him to do the wrong thing. So he goes to the religious leaders. He's bargained Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, which was literally the price of a slave, Hmm. which is fascinating because Jesus was the one who said Mm. that he came to be the servant of all. They go to the upper room. Jesus hints to John, this Mm. is who it's going to be, and it's Judas. And then Judas leaves the rest of them, and they go to Gethsemane, and after Jesus' time of prayer, they come back. And that's where we rejoin the story where Judas and this 
massive group, we need to think about that a minute, this massive group are going to come to arrest Jesus, and Judas is the tip of the spear on this group. Mm-hmm. So Matthew 26, 47 to 49, this is the seminal moment. While he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came up accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs, who came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Immediately Judas went to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi, and kissed him. Okay, now there are two components to this. One is the group, and the second are Judas as the individual. John tells us in John 18 that there is a cohort of Roman soldiers, and historians tell us that could be up to 600 soldiers. Good 600 grief. soldiers accompanied by temple guards and priests and elders. And so one of the things we see sometimes in history is the Jewish people are blamed as they're the Christ killers. There's the ones that killed Jesus. Well, there's Gentiles and Jews there. Mm-hmm. There's full participation, in a sense, from the representatives of the human race. But you think about the size of this. Secondly, it says they came with torches and with clubs and stuff like that in Luke's gospel. And in Luke's gospel, when he says they came with torches, keep in mind that Passover was always during a full moon. Mm-hmm. So apparently they thought, he's going to be hiding. We're going to have to go and find him. Mm-hmm. And John says, no, he steps right out and initiates the conversation. So there's a lot of dynamics going on here with this huge crowd. But where I want us to focus our thinking is on that last part. Read it again, Elisa, starting with the word immediately. Immediately Judas went to Jesus and said, hail, rabbi, and kissed him. Okay, neither his words nor his actions match what is actually taking place. The phrase, Hail Rabbi, is a statement of respect. It's, I'm so glad to see you. You're my teacher. I'm so happy to see you. And then it says that he kissed him. Now, we know culturally, mm-hmm. kissing is a part of Eastern culture. You know, The kiss on either cheek is part of the culture as a greeting and so forth. So in a sense, you would expect it. However... If we look at the other Gospels, we find that he tells this crowd that's coming with him, here's how you'll know that he's the one. It'll be the one that I kiss. So he takes this, again, this warm and wonderful symbol of greeting Mm -hmm. and turns it into a treacherous, treacherous act. Mm -hmm. I'm flashing back to uh, Mary anointing him. And that's one of the places we saw Judas in more detail in Mm. one of our other conversations. And, you know, she wet his feet with her hair and kissed them. And I'm thinking about the intimacy and the love, the lavish expression, and how reverberating that would be. I think there's just a a nerve that it hits when you think about betrayal. Mm -hmm. Like, even as a country, we still all know who Benedict Arnold is, right? There's something different about someone that you know that person is the one who even uses the intimacy Mm -hmm. that they have with you uses the trust that you have and that is very uh that's scary yeah Mm -hmm. because that makes you go man that could be anybody yeah yeah the moment you enter into relationship you make yourself vulnerable to this Mm -hmm. as a possibility and what's so amazing is that here's the son of god and from the moment he called judas he knew judas was going to betray him because we see him saying statements about mm-hmm. that through the Gospels. And he welcomed him into relationship anyway. Yeah. And what's really interesting is the word kiss is a very intense word in the Greek that the structure of the word in the Greek means that he did it enthusiastically and repeatedly. Mm. 
he just kept kissing him. And to your point, Elisa, I mean, when we look at Luke 7 and the so-called sinful woman kissing Jesus, it's the exact same form. Mm-hmm. It's the exact same form when we see in Luke 15 the father welcoming the prodigal son home. Mm, yeah, It's that kind of kissing. It's the same kind of kissing in Acts 20 when the people from the church at Ephesus are saying goodbye to Paul and they fall on his neck and they weep and they kiss. It is that level of kiss that makes it all the more dirty. Yeah. Yeah. You know what else is jumping out to me too? As far as I can remember, these are the last words from one of Jesus' disciples to him mm. before he's crucified. Mm. Yeah. So Judas in some ways is the last representative of the disciples yeah. to kiss Jesus and to greet him. Those are the words that Jesus takes with him through all the mm. suffering, mm. through all the trials, through all the persecution that he experiences up to the cross. Mm. Because the rest of the disciples from this point forward, after one of them tries mm. to take some action into their mm. own hands, mm-hmm. they run away. Yeah. And so those are the words Jesus carries with him mm-hmm. as he goes to suffer and die. That's really important, Daniel. Michael Card is a Christian musician many of us are familiar with. And Mike wrote a song a number of years ago called Why? And it said, why did it have to be a friend who Mm. chose to betray the Lord? And why did he use a kiss to tell them? That's not what a kiss is for. Mm. And then he says this, only a friend can betray a friend. Mm. A stranger has nothing to gain. And only a friend gets close enough to ever cause that much pain. Wow. Mm. You just can almost feel Jesus's heart breaking Mm -hmm. as Judas who he loved and welcomed into relationship and took the risk with, fulfills this worst of all possible acts, the act of betrayal. You're listening to the Discover the Word podcast as Bill Crowder leads a discussion with Elisa Morgan, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry, and they work together to get a better understanding of how Judas could make the choices he made to betray Jesus. And as Bill has said, there are a lot of factors at work, and I think going in-depth like this is helping us to not just point out the evil of what Judas did, but see the Judasness in each of our hearts as well, and to realize that at any point in time, we're only a few steps away from being Judas ourselves. So how does Jesus then respond to the hurt and the pain of being betrayed like this? Well, that's where the conversation goes next. Have you ever had anybody confront you, maybe lovingly, maybe not so lovingly, but they come to you and they say, you need to practice what you preach? (laughs) Yes, I have. Yes. And uh, I think it's especially those who are closest to you that get to see you yeah. uh-huh. the most, like mm-hmm. uh, children. Yeah. Um, or your spouse. Or spouse, or, uh-huh. like, yeah. or friends. Yeah. It's that kind of thing. I remember it wasn't even too much of a negative, in a sense, I was leading a team, and I always had preached about rest and rhythms and whatnot, but I was taking on way too much and they actually had an intervention for me. <laughs> and it was like, the, you know, the team that I'm, so I'm the team leader and they're like, you're doing too much. Okay, like, so yeah. You need to ask for help. So an intervention is practice what you preach on steroids. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I was very grateful because yeah. it was true. Yeah. Lisa, Daniel, y'all have ever had something like that? I can 
definitely resonated with the exact story that Rasul shared of um, encouraging other people to have a nice rhythm of life and then people holding up mirrors back toward mm-hmm. me and like, yeah, how's that going for you? Yeah. I had that just recently with a friend that was like, I think you should like get away for like a little bit of a spiritual retreat. Ooh, and, let um, God talk to you. Yeah, and I was mm-hmm. like, well, I could, but you know, I, I don't know if I have time for that. Yeah, I've got too much important stuff to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and he was <laughs> like, well, let me ask you a question. With your wife, do you guys go on date nights? I'm like, yeah. He's like, yeah, is that pretty good? Yeah. You guys ever go away for longer, like a night or two? Yeah, is that better? Yeah, and he goes... Boom. What do you think about your relationship with God? If you oh. got away versus just hanging out with him each day, I was like, all right, I hear you, man. <laughs> but it was one of those practice yeah. what you preach moments. Yeah. yeah. What came to me, and this is embarrassing, is someone came to me and accused me of not being equitable in my love, in Oof. my relationships. It's like you love them more than that, you know, kind of a thing. And mm. I just sat there going, well... Yeah, I think I do, you know, kind of a thing. And then I had to go, and is that wrong? Well, yeah, maybe it is. It was sobering. And it's never fun to look in the mirror of someone else's correction, but it's healthy. Yeah. I mean, in all those cases, basically what people were looking for was consistency Mm -hmm. and authenticity and integrity. Yeah, that you are who you say you are. Yeah. I heard somebody say one time, in our best moments, we're like Jesus, and the rest of the time, we're like humans. (laughs) And um, (laughs) I think there's a sense in which when we kind of get caught in that, you're not practicing what you preach. Mm -hmm. Those are not our best moments. Those are moments we're not like Jesus. And to take us into this conversation, I'd like for us to read something Jesus preached. And then we're going to see him practice what he preached. Ooh. Matthew 5, 44 through 46a. Elisa, why don't you read Matthew 5, 44, and then just catch through to the first part of verse 46. Okay. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son, S-U-N, to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Okay, so here's the son of the father saying, if you want to be sons of the father. Mm. Okay, so that's mm-hmm. that's important. Love your enemies. So here comes exhibit A. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jesus steps out of the shadows of the garden to confront this group of perhaps as much as seven or 800 people who have come to arrest him, which may speak to the level of threat they that, felt he was. that they yeah. felt that he was. With weapons. <laughs> yeah, they Wep- come with threat. weapons. <laughs> and he steps out, and here comes Judas, the quintessential example of someone who has chosen to make himself Jesus' enemy. So how does he respond? Daniel, read Matthew 26, verse 50. Jesus said to him, friend... Do what you are here to do. Friend. <laughs> Friend. I think we have to put it in context, too, because we live in a sarcastic culture now. <laughs> this was not. That's right. Because here, that word has so much more weight and meaning because Jesus isn't being sarcastic. No. In effect, this is Jesus' final attempt, even in this moment, mm-hmm. to reach out to Judas. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, it's not too late. Mm-hmm. I mean, even after he has kissed him and identified him, it's almost as if Jesus is saying, it's not too late. Mm -hmm. 
Now, what's interesting is when Jesus says the word friend, first of all, you're exactly right, Daniel. He's not saying it sarcastically. Mm -hmm. He's saying it with the genuineness and love and compassion that only Jesus can say it. However, this has some roots. Elisa, read John 13, verse 18. Now, in this, we're back in the upper room again, and Jesus has just made it clear that Judas is going to be the one who's going to betray him. What does Jesus say in John 13, verse 18? He says, I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. Hmm, Okay. Let's take that one step further. This is to fulfill the Scriptures, right? Okay, what was the Scripture? Russell, would you read Psalm 41, verse 9? Sure. Even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread has turned against me. Mm. When Jesus says friend, there's an echo all the way back to the Psalms Mm -hmm. that, again, it's a friend. And even though Judas has made himself Jesus' enemy, Jesus still views him as a friend. Mm. Close friend in Psalm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Even my close friend whom I trusted. Trusted. And how do we know he trusted him? He gave him the money to take care of. And you talk about a symbol of trust. We're going to take all the resources we have and we're going to entrust them to you. Mm. My close friend whom I trusted. And now this close friend who he trusted, in my translation, lifts up his heel Mm. against Jesus. And how does Jesus respond? Friend, do what you're here to do. Yeah, friend. Mm. Now... We've been asking a lot of why questions in this. Why might Jesus be calling Judas friend? What might he be trying to communicate to him? What might he be trying to accomplish by calling him a friend, even though he's acting like Jesus's worst enemy? Well, doesn't it remind him of who he really is or who he could be? I mean, he has been in a friend role. When I come before Jesus and I know I'm messed up, mm-hmm. you know, if I remember... I am his beloved. If I remember that, it calls me back into right relationship. Mm-hmm. It calls me back into a place of hope. That's what comes to my mind. Mm. Brings you back to your identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. he's I, part of what it feels like Jesus is communicating here is even this does not get in the way of how I feel about you. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. you are still my friend yeah. even now. Even now. And I, I even wonder to what extent do what you came here to do could have a double meaning not just finish the job and go ahead and betray me, but also hmm. I think about the callbacks that like in John, when he, when at the end he says, follow me to Peter, when that was the beginning, almost like, remember, do what you originally set out to do as a disciple. What, hmm. Remember what that was, friend? Like it was, mm-hmm. you, you, you know, your goal of seeing mm-hmm. justice for Israel or, or for the kingdom of God to be maintained was, it's more than this, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know? Do what you came here to do. It's not too late for you to do what you ultimately came Mm -hmm. here to do. One of the questions that has raged in theological circles for, oh, about, say, 2,000 years now, Hmm. was Judas a believer? Yeah, you wonder. He was a follower. Yeah, (laughs) we'll find out. Mm -hmm. I mean, the answer to the question is we'll find out. Mm -hmm. But there are two realities I would kind of like to land us on before we close this part of our conversation. And one of the realities is this. It is hard to imagine 
the one who would betray Jesus to the cross. Think about what the cross means. To betray him to the cross. It's hard to imagine how somebody who is a believer could do that. The second reality is, but David was a man after God's heart. He takes another man's wife, abusing his authority and power. He murders her husband. Okay. Mm-hmm. If a man after God's own heart can do that, could a follower of Jesus do this? Well, Peter disowned him. Yeah. And denied him. Yeah. The disciples fall asleep in the garden as yeah. Jesus is weeping. And I, what do I do? Yeah. You know, and I think I that's the point. I think if we say, well, no, he wasn't even a believer. I don't know if he was a believer or not. And I'm not trying Mm -hmm. to argue that he was. What I'm saying is you have to at least believe that he could have been. Mm -hmm. And the whole story of the Bible is a story about faithless people Mm -hmm. in the presence of a faithful God. And that's the point. Because we are part of those faithless people. And Judas, if nothing else, should become to us a reminder of what even people who walk with Jesus, as he physically did for three years, what we are still capable of in our worst selves. Yeah, and I just think of um, two sides of this. One, you don't turn off all of the experiences and feelings that you have for someone just when you find out that they betray you. You know, mm-hmm. like, and I'm saying not just Jesus, I'm saying us. Like, yeah. it, it doesn't make all of the other stuff go away. And so I do think that this is a word for us in terms of how we navigate. Cause I think you can choose to cut off someone, but there's still something to be done once you discover that that betrayal has happened. And I think on the flip side, it's a powerful thing that even though he's 99 yards down the field, he's at the one yard line and Jesus is still say, Hey, you can still take the knee. You yeah. don't gotta go in. Even then, mm-hmm. even then in the moment of his betrayal, at a very basic level, Jesus is practicing what he preached. Sure, <laughs> sure, sure. Love your enemies, friend. Yeah, Jesus practiced what he preached in an amazing way, even with Judas when he had betrayed him. That was a challenging reminder that no matter how long we've walked with Christ, we are still capable of becoming our worst selves. But even when we do, the offer of forgiveness and restoration still stands from our Savior such an important part of this discussion. Well, in the last segment of our conversation, uh, they're going to talk about remorse, uh, regret. We've all been there, haven't we? And in fact, Judas was there. But where does our remorse take us? Well, that is another key decision that we need to spend some time talking about. And we will after this preview of what's coming up on the next Discover the Word podcast. On the next Discover the Word podcast, the group will explore what is a strange description of God in the Bible. What comes to your mind when you hear that our God is a consuming fire? Yeah, when Rebecca and I lived in Colorado Springs, we had a fire that came through and burned, I think it was almost 500 homes to the ground. And I just remember watching those flames shoot down the mountain and enveloped that whole side of town and with the friends that we had that lived on that side of town yeah. and pictures that they would send of driving in their cars through fire. Anytime I hear of a fire anywhere now, it means very different things than it did before oh, that yeah. experience. And even in, as you describe that, it would be hard in the same breath to talk about 
you know, the beauty of a campfire and the warm summer night. Well, yeah. But yeah. I think that's a, an interesting point, Mart, because we try to tame fire, don't we? Yeah. We have it in our fireplaces or in our gas stoves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So fire can be used in a lot of different ways. And I think we have to keep that in mind as we go to our text in uh, the New Testament letter to the Hebrews, where we get this strange statement, for our God is a consuming fire. Mm. And so when the smoke clears, what does this tell us about God? Well, that's what Mark DeHaan helps the group answer in his series, When the Smoke Clears, on the next Discover the Word podcast. And now the final sad chapter in the story of Judas. Okay, for our friends who are joining us for these conversations, I think it would be maybe honest to just let them in on the fact that these have not been real easy for us. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we've really struggled our way through this for a lot of reasons, haven't we? Well, it's very sobering. You know, it's um, looking at Judas' life is, it's different like when you're, you have it at a distance at an arm's length and mm-hmm. think, I yeah. could never. Mm-hmm. But the more we dig into it, the more I see, mm, there's me, Mm-mm, there's me, uh-oh, yeah. that could be me. And mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And for me, it's made me think more deeply about the emotional weight of betrayal mm. on either side like yeah. mm-hmm. either moments where i feel like i have betrayed you know god or or someone close to me or when i have felt betrayed and those mm-hmm. are either one of those is some of the worst moments mm-hmm. i've ever experienced yeah. i think about the fact that so often we try to make characters in the bible better than they are or <laughs> act as if they're the ideal something or other. Or more simplistic. Or, yeah. Mm-hmm. And when we run into people like David, we really struggle because he made such horrific mistakes and murders someone. And and then we run into people like Judas. And at first we want to just like rule them out as, oh, well, it, he's like Satan in the Bible, right? Yeah. He's just the, but then when you dig into the story, you realize, ooh, there's some gray there too. Yeah. Um, because he's got some tendencies that, if I'm honest, show up in me too. Yeah. And I think that last part, Daniel, is what's so important, if I'm honest, because it's so easy to not be honest with the scriptures. It's also easy to not be honest with ourselves. Mm -hmm. Anytime we look at a Bible character, whether it's one that we tend to over-idealize or whether it's one we tend to overly demonize, I think our tendency is to put ourselves in contrast to them or to use them in some way to put us in a better light. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm rather than to say, okay, what is this telling me that I'm capable of that I don't want to deal with? Mm-hmm. And I think Judas's story is so provocative because how many times have we said or heard people say, you know, wouldn't it have been cool if we could have lived back in Bible times and maybe been right. one of the disciples and walked with Jesus? And you know what? He did. Yeah. And this is his story. And it's not good, you yeah. know, and I think we kind of tend to over idealize some of those things. And again, with Judas, overly demonize him where the truth is always probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And with Judas's story, you know, we've seen a bunch of stuff already in our conversations. We've seen maybe where he might have been from and maybe what he might have been identified with, with zealots and stuff. We saw his dad's name. You know, which means that what Judas did is attached to that family forever, mm-hmm. forever. And we saw just the almost brutal use of a kiss mm. in the garden 
in the way that he went about betrayal. And, and then we saw that Jesus just kept loving him. Mm-hmm. And now we come to at least the end of the information. We don't know what the end of his story was. And I want to keep saying that because we don't know what his relationship was truly in his heart with mm-hmm. Jesus. We don't know. The scriptures don't tell us. But what we do know is that the end of the information that scriptures give us paint a very dark ending on a person who committed the darkest act ever committed. And we need to see that part too for two reasons. And I want us to see the first part of it in Matthew 27 verses 3 through 10. It's a big chunk of verses, but I'd like for you to go around the group and read, you know, two or three verses each and and get verses 3 through 10 of Matthew 27. Then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, What is that to us? See to that yourself. Throwing down the pieces of silver in the temple, he departed, and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priest, taking the pieces of silver, said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury, since they are blood money. And they conferred together, and with the money... They bought the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. And for this reason, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Mm. And then that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. And they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of the one whose price had been set by the sons of Israel. And they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. Okay, we've seen all kinds of prophetic influences throughout Mm -hmm. here. And here's another one that's Mm -hmm. even connected to Judas's death, this potter's field thing. The first thing that I want us to really camp on is this idea of when he saw that Jesus had been condemned, he felt remorse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, so much of the time when we read or hear those who want to lean on the overly demonized side, Mm -hmm. they'll say, yeah, he felt remorse, but that doesn't mean he repented. Yeah, except though that that word there in the Greek is the same word that's translated, he repented. My translation picks up on that as well, but there is a range of meaning there. That can include repent. Yep, and it's to regret, to repent, to be repentant, to change your mind, to be remorseful. Yeah. I think it's really interesting when it says, when he saw that Jesus had been condemned, okay, it makes you wonder if he wasn't expecting a different outcome. Uh Mm -hmm. But then all of a sudden he sees, wait a minute, there really is a cross at the end of this thing. Mm -hmm. And I was the the catalyst that started all this in motion. And he felt remorse because he was expecting something different. That seems fairly plausible to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so too. But I think sometimes we make decisions and we don't realize what the consequences of those decisions are. Maybe we think we realize what they are, but then when we see them actually happen, Mm -hmm. that's the moment when the light bulb comes on and we're like, what did I just do? Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. And I wonder if, if nothing else, maybe that's what's mm-hmm. happening here of, oh, I knew he was going to be condemned, but he just got condemned. And he yeah. seems like he wants to undo it. I mean, mm-hmm. he takes the money back. It's like... Yeah. Right. And I mean, part of it, sometimes this is one of those moments where it's so hard to not allow my understanding of the story and its completion mm-hmm. mess up yeah. what's happening in the moment and what the stakes are. Because if you go back and you go, okay, if you're Judas and the disciples, what would he be condemned for? 
Like if you're thinking just of it objectively, you know that there's a competition, that mm -hmm. the Pharisees are upset, that they're trying to diminish his standing. You're not thinking he didn't do anything worthy of the death penalty. So you're not thinking this is the definite outcome. Mm -hmm. But it also just reveals to me why, you know, sometimes people think that they can falsely make these deals with themselves or compromise a little bit. Mm -hmm. But you don't know the full extent of where that compromise goes. Yeah. And you don't know the other forces that are in play. I mean, there was a very clear end game for the religious leaders. Right. They knew that from their perspective and because of their agenda, Jesus had to die. Right. We have no indication that Judas was aware of that conversation. Yeah, he wasn't in that council. That's right. So <laughs> perhaps Judas was thinking, you know, if they put him on trial, he'll have to come out as king. Mm -hmm. right. He'll have to declare himself king. Right. And then we can really get going. Or maybe something else is going to happen. But you get the idea that Whatever scenarios he imagined, this wasn't one of them. Right. So the, much had to go wrong. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The false witnesses, the capitulation from Pontius Pilate and Herod, yeah. all of those things he couldn't foresaw was going to... The choice of Barabbas. The over. choice, of, Right, even that. Like There yeah. were all these sure. exit ramps that could have gone in a different right. direction, but the course led to something that was initiated by him. Mm -hmm. And these verses that we just read are preceded by the revelation that mm -hmm. indeed Jesus is going to be executed and they lead him away and hand him over to Pilate when Judas heard that Jesus was condemned. Yeah. You know, this is what his response is. Yeah, and we see this reversal of values where the money that seemed so important to mm -hmm. him earlier, I mean, remember how he initiated oh, yeah. the whole thing. What will you give me? Mm -hmm. What do I get out of it? What's in it for me? And now what he got out of it is like radioactive. Mm -hmm. He don't want anything to do with it. And then the tragic moment where he goes and hangs himself. It breaks my heart. I know you've had moments where you, you know, watch a movie through 20 times hoping it'll end differently, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. when it has a tragic ending. And there are a lot of ways in which I read scripture and I wish every time that it would end differently because mm -hmm. I don't want to see Jesus yeah. hang on a cross. And another thing, just real quick, but they said, what is that to us? See yeah. to that yourself. And there's this moment that happens when you compromise who you are, what you are, and for some other goal, and then it doesn't work out. And people are like, that's your problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it leaves you alone. They leave you while Jesus says, I will never leave mm -hmm. you. That was kind forsaken. of the point. So right with you, Russell, because I think what breaks my heart here is that not only does Jesus die, but the Judas still has an opportunity yeah. to turn mm -hmm. towards him, and yeah. he doesn't. Yeah. Instead, he takes it into his own hands mm -hmm. and ends his life when he could have right. mm -hmm. still Even been with Jesus. Yeah. Yes. And I think one of the things that we've done, I know, Daniel, you've mentioned this a few times, is Judas isn't the only one who betrayed Jesus. I mean, we put a different yeah. name on it. We call it denial yes. right. when Peter denied. But even though their actions were very similar their responses were totally different. Mm -hmm. Judas went out and hanged himself. Yeah. Peter went out and wept bitterly, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but he stayed. And three days later, the risen Christ could come and say to the women, go tell my disciples and Peter mm. that I've risen. Peter did something in many ways just as evil is what Judas had done, mm -hmm. but he never took himself out of the place of restoration. That's right. Yeah. Judas did. Yeah. And regardless of what we think, we'll never find out till we get to heaven whether he was really a disciple or whether the whole thing was a charade. We'll never know till then what his motives were. You know, we'll understand it better by and by. But what we do know is this, like you said, Elisa, there was a chance mm -hmm. 
there was an opportunity and he turned and walked away Mm -hmm. and killed himself rather than keep himself open to what could be. And I don't think Peter knew he was keeping himself open to what could be. But just by the fact Mm -hmm. that he stayed, that's what he did. In our moments of failure, when we're filled with remorse, how do we respond in that moment to keep ourselves in the place where our loving Father can restore us to himself, to one another, and to usefulness in the kingdom? That is the question we take away from Judas. It reminds me of a conversation that we had in a different series with Rasul where he was talking about when we run into our brokenness, we have the tendency to want to lean away from God in shame and fear. And the invitation I think that we see here is God inviting us to lean into him. Yeah, and that also reminds me of your referencing of David and the betrayal and the murder and all the wickedness. And then I think of Psalm 51. You know, have mercy on me, oh God, according Mm -hmm. to your unfailing Mm -hmm. love. Mm -hmm. A contrite spirit you will not despise. You know what I mean? A broken heart. And and so that's the part that allows David in his anguish, in Mm -hmm. his, you know, darkest moment to reach up instead of just Mm -hmm. withdraw within and collapse. And I am fully convinced, Russell, that when he understood what he had done, and he threw that money on the floor and ran out of the temple. If he had gone and cried out, Lord, have mercy on me, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. God would have. Yeah. Because that's who God is. I think so. Still called him friend. Yeah, sobering and yet hopeful conclusion to this conversation called Judas. Thank you, Bill, for leading us in this difficult discussion. I think we've all been challenged to see the betrayal of Judas in a new light, challenged to see the Judasness in each of our hearts, and also reminded of God's endless capacity for grace. Well, you're listening to the Discover the Word podcast with Bill Crowder, Elisa Morgan, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry. Great to have you as part of this study as well. Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. And thanks for remembering that it is the voluntary giving of friends like you that makes this ministry possible. Our resources reach people in over 150 different countries around the world. And when you give, you're helping us make the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible understandable and accessible to people all around the world. You can partner with us by giving online at discovertheword.org. Well, thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedinga. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.